Welcome to the show where three friends rate, debate, and investigate the films you'll love to see and hate to see. This is You'll Love to See It. What I love about Nicole, she is a mother who plays, really plays. What I love about Charlie, he loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, like waking up at night. She knows when to push me and when to leave me alone. He never lets other people keep him from what he wants to do. Dad, you're too far. I know. It's not easy for her to close a cabinet. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. She's He's very, very competitive. competitive. Hello and welcome back to You Love to See It. I'm joined here today with my best friends, Eric. Hello. And Caleb. Good afternoon. We hope you guys are having a good day or night, depending on what time you are listening or to evening. this. Or evening. Whatever time of the morning. day. Morning. It's morning somewhere. For us right now, it is about 11 o'clock at night. 10, 30, 10. We I have no idea. We could get docs from that. Now they know we where could. we're from. We could. All right, well, today <laughs> today we have uh <laughs> today we're discussing uh specifically one movie in particular that the three of us watched that just came out last week and that is Marriage Story. But before we get into that, which will be a long discussion that uh, I personally am very much looking forward to. What do we do if it's not long? Well, it will be. <laughs> you don't know that. We haven't done it yet. <laughs> we haven't done it yet, but I know it will be. Um, before we get into Marriage Story, we're going to start off with our little intro kind of question. And rather doing a, you know, random year again, we just kind of thought of a random subject that kind of a, pertains to Marriage Story because it is, we'll, we'll talk about it more later. But in this case, we're going to be talking about our not favorite, but our just notable soundtrack, a notable soundtrack that we uh, personally like. Yeah, Marriage Story just got nominated at the Golden Globes for Best Soundtrack, whether or not that was deserved, um, which, well, sure. Well, but we're talking about soundtracks. But like you said, anyways, which we're going to get into. Which we're going to get into in just a second. So... Uh, Eric, would you like to lead us off with a notable soundtrack? Oh, I would love to. And it's a classic. Um, the soundtrack I am choosing is from Paul Schrader's Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters. Um, the film follows Mishima, who is a famous Japanese artist who famously committed ritual suicide while doing some sort of, like, government, like, coup sort of thing. And he was sort of an iconoclast. Um, the movie follows him on the day of his um, his ritual suicide while in the middle intersplicing between three of his original stories that are reenacted. Um, the, um, the soundtrack is by Philip Glass, acclaimed soundtrack and classical composer. Uh, it is... In Paul Schrader's work, it is his string quartet number three, titled Mishima. It's this very sort of undulating, hypnotic soundtrack that goes up and down. It has 
just beautiful melodies inside. It goes almost throughout the entire movie. It's wonderful. Um, and it just adds to just this hypnotic, beautiful, surreal, yet also incredibly dark, incredibly affecting nature of the film. All right. I guess I'll go next. Um, this is not my favorite soundtrack of all time, but I was thinking about what type of movies I like, and I was thinking about notably, like, personally, I love sci-fi films. And one film in particular that didn't get the best reviews, um, I think I gave it maybe a three, three and a half. Um, it's a good, solid film starring Tom Cruise. It's called Oblivion. Um just to give a brief little rundown of what Oblivion is about is obviously, like I said, it is a sci-fi movie, but the film is about kind of a a man who is this repairman on Earth when Earth has been like kind of demolished and, you know, it's in a future scenario where after decades of war and all this stuff, like, Earth is completely kind of destroyed. And there, there's a lot to say. I don't want to spoil a lot of it because a lot of the plot is very important to the film. R regardless, the reason I love this soundtrack, which is actually by a group called M83, which is this French-American, um, they do mostly, like, synth pop, uh, things like that. Uh, the reason I felt like this soundtrack was very... Um, appropriate when I thought of a very notable soundtrack is because of the mood it puts you in. Uh, this this film is very beautifully uh, shot. It's It's got these amazing scenes of just this, the l destroyed landscape of Earth and uh, a lot of just kind of wide shots. And hearing their music and, and this soundtrack in the background just really adds to that sci-fi element and you really feel like you're in a trance while watching it. Um, I very much like soundtracks that almost put me like in the atmosphere. Like they, I just really like sink into kind of the way they make me feel about the movie. And this soundtrack in particular may not be the most, you know, sophisticated by any means, but I just really kind of put me in the zone, uh, in the mood for the movie. And that's why I like it. So Caleb. All right, so we are nearing the end of the decade, uh, which has prompted uh, Eric, Zach, and I uh, to discuss our favorite whatever uh, from this decade as it pertains to film. So I thought I would bring up not my favorite soundtrack because uh, I think we all talk about La La Land enough on this podcast, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to go with uh, what I feel is the most underrated soundtrack from this decade. Uh, it's from a film that came out in 2017, but missed the Oscars entirely, wasn't even nominated. Now, I won't say it is the biggest score snub of the decade. I think that went to, to First Man. I still befuddled uh, as to how that wasn't nominated. Um, music. Excellent music. Uh, but... The, the movie uh, that this score is in is War for the Planet of the Apes. It's, I was not expecting this at all. It's composed by Michael Giacchino, uh, who you might know from Up or both Incredibles movies. 
Uh, my favorite work of his is from the TV show Lost, uh, which he scored throughout its run. Uh, there are some incredible tracks uh, on on those on those soundtracks. I would totally recommend uh, well, watching the show and uh, and and definitely listening to the music. Uh, but in War for the Planet of the Apes, he he just adds a whole dimension to the movie. He one theme uh, I've noticed throughout is that he usually has pretty simple melodies, but they are just <laughs> incredibly beautiful, and that uh, is is very true, especially in the track uh, from the from the film Exodus Wounds, that serves as kind of like a main theme uh, throughout the film, and uh, by the end, uh, the the song Paradise Found closes out the film in just the most beautiful manner combined with the visuals it is just a stunning ending which helped create i think one of 2017's most underrated films uh it's he is he is a wonderful wonderful composer and great piece of work here uh another way i i find myself determining which soundtracks are great or which i love the most is if I feel a, a compulsion to to learn them on the piano as soon as I uh, have exited the theater, and that has hardly been more true than than with this soundtrack. So I'd, I'd recommend giving it a listen, giving the film a watch, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully you enjoy it. All right. Well, um, I actually I've seen. Was that from War of the Planet of the Apes? Yes, that's the the last of the trilogy from 2017. Okay, I've seen that. And Eric's was, what was your movie? I'm sorry. Mishima. I have not seen that. I don't think either of you have seen Oblivion, have you? Nope. Yeah, I don't think so. I. It's not the best film in the world by any means, but, you know, it's got a good soundtrack, I think, at least. Everyone needs to watch Mishima. Now. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's start talking about Marriage Story. Uh God, what a movie! I I mean that's just what I have to say. I I <laughs> let's end the let's end the podcast now with that. <laughs> that was our long discussion. <laughs> I I loved Marriage Story. I mean I I maybe I shouldn't put my bias out there right away, but everything I'm going to talk about today in reference to Marriage Story, um, I don't know if it'll all be praise, but I'll just start off by saying that it was just to me a uh, phenomenal movie. So I guess uh, I'll give a little bit of background into uh, what Marriage Story is about for those who haven't uh, seen it yet. Uh, Marriage Story is a movie that just came out recently by Noah Baumbach. Um, I actually haven't seen any other Noah Baumbach movies. Um, I think maybe Caleb and Eric might mention a few of them later. Um, But either ways, it's uh, about a stage director who is played by Adam Driver and an actor who is played by Scarlett Johansson. Um, and the couple is, uh, married, but the movie focuses on for its near entirety on their divorce and the separation, um, between the two. So obviously right off the bat, you know, it's, you'd think it's going to be a very depressing movie, which I would say in some aspects, it is a very sad, maybe, uh, you know, I wouldn't say hopeless movie, but it's, it is a sad movie inherently because it's about divorce. But I, I think this film offers so much more than uh, just 
hopelessness, in fact. Um, I guess, is there anything else we should say about the movie? I mean, there's a few other stars who are notable. Uh, Laura Dern uh, is in it. Uh, someone that I really like, uh, Alan Alda, is in it. Um, we already mentioned that it has been nominated for a, uh, uh, what was it? What was it for? Original soundtrack. Yeah, original score for a Golden Globe, correct? Yeah. Um, it and also Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are nominated. Yes. Um, oh, it's definitely nominated for best drama feature. I don't know if Bombach got nominated for directing though, okay. but it did get the most nominations. It did. I it didn't know that six, for Golden Globes. Yeah. And obviously the Oscar nominations aren't out yet, so we won't know that. But uh, I think it's a safe bet that it will receive some. Oscar nominations as well, most likely, right? Oh, definitely. Okay. Anyways, I guess we should just jump right in. Um, what do you guys want to talk about first? Is there anything that's kind of just been on the edge for you guys? Um, I guess I, I guess I'll start with talking about the performances of Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Um, I've seen a lot more notable Scarlett Johansson films than I have Adam Driver films, so I feel like I have a little bit more knowledge when it comes to where I rank Scarlett Johansson's performance in this case. But at the very least, I have to say that both did a great job. Like, I, that, that's to say the least. I think they both did a fantastic job of portraying a marriage that was falling apart and two individuals who were having to deal with the effects on their life from it, you know, in a very simplified manner. I think that they both did a fantastic job with that. And I personally think this might be my favorite Scarlett Johansson performance of the movies I've seen. Um, but I know you guys think that it, it's, it's high, right? But there's some others that also fit in. Yeah, it's definitely up there for me. I, I'd still say Lost in Translation is my favorite work from her. Uh, also, her her voice work in her uh, was yeah. was excellent, uh, and yeah, Adam Driver was also just spectacular. Uh, Eric and I watched Patterson earlier this week in, in preparation uh, for Marriage Story, uh, in, in which he stars uh, in in both films, and he was he was very solid, very good in Patterson, in my opinion. Uh, in a pretty understated role, which is always, in my, I'd say, harder to convince an audience that you are great in in a role that's more understated. You know, he, there there are no huge emotional scenes. You know, nothing of him breaking down or, or yelling in Patterson. You know, he was just playing a pretty straightforward character, and I think he he really got into the humanity of his character Patterson. Uh, which was very impressive. But here in Marriage Story, he takes it to a whole nother level. Uh, I, the whole movie, he is just stunning. Uh, you, you really can't, can't look away. He, he carries the, the heartbreak of, of a father potentially going to lose his son, uh, he carries the focus of of, uh, of a genius artist. He he really balances uh, his his ideas of self and family and work and the struggle to to keep them uh, all afloat. He he really 
just does a a superb job. Uh, certainly my favorite performance from this year from Adam Driver. I just want to say real quick um, before, um, <laughs> I because I, I want to hear what Eric has to say too, but I, I think you mentioned just uh, about their performances as a whole, and I felt like one of the strongest pieces of that, and in maybe obviously I'm, I'm, it's credit to the writing as well, but I, I thought they seemed very human in the fact that they didn't just portray the the greatness of the, each characters, you know, the, the the genius, for instance, in Adam Driver's character, or the, you know, fierce independence possibly in Scarlett Johansson's character, but they also portrayed their flaws very well. They're very human, very relatable flaws, and I thought that was very strong as well. Absolutely. In fact, I liked the fact that they did the opposite. I feel like in a divorce, what happens, what comes out is the bad. So I, I, I actually, on the flip side, enjoyed that they spent so much time focusing on the good, especially in that uh, first like ten minute, like fake out montage. Um, that being said, yeah, the performances were really, really strong. I thought, especially Adam Driver, as I think everyone's been saying. Um, this was actually, I think one of the first movies that I've seen of Adam Driver where he's really been the lead. Like, yes, we talked about Patterson, but yeah, as Caleb said, that's definitely a more understated character, but Adam Driver was one of those actors that I, like, always knew, like, had a great, amazing performance in him, but always seemed to get relegated to more supporting roles in, like, Francis Ha, Silence. Um, he has maybe the best cameo of all time in Inside Lewin Davis. Um... But yeah, I think especially just how just real and almost unforced Adam Driver's performance was in this in this film. Especially, I think that's where I think Scarlett Johansson's performance falls short for me. It feels like it fe- it's good, but it still feels like she's acting to me, um, which is partially why I think her performances in Her and Lost in Translation are just slightly better. But yeah, Adam Adam Driver's just amazing of this the way yeah i think caleb caleb hit everything on the head just he's he's wonderful yeah Uh, performance of the year and one more note as far as the acting goes i actually really enjoyed the performance uh from ozzy robertson who played henry which is uh charlie nicole adam driver and scarlett chanson's son in a role that could have uh, in a role where the character could have been very annoying, uh, mm-hmm. he, you know, he just he he was he was he was far from it. He was uh, no nowhere near as insufferable as he potentially could have been. I, I thought he he gave a pretty honest portrayal of of a child, and you know, you you don't always see that in in movies, so you. Uh, I think you have to appreciate it when it's there, but I, I thought he definitely brought some cohesion to the family and and fit right in acting alongside Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, which is you know no no small uh, task. So I, I want to talk a little bit about you know I, I figure we can kind of through, move through this movie uh, almost linearly. Um, I want to start by talking about the beginning. Um, Great stuff. And <laughs> I want to hear what both of you think about the beginning. Uh, so just to give a little, I don't obviously it's not really spoiling anything. And at this point, you know, we're we're here to talk about things that are inherently going to be spoilers. But in the first five minutes of the film, I'm probably a little less actually. I don't know. Really, I was thinking it's more. 
Was it more? You think it's, it's more? It's definitely like 10 minutes. It might least. be longer. Okay. I, I honestly am so bad at estimating time that it could have been longer. It, it, it didn't. What I want to say with that is that's actually, I would say, a good thing. It didn't feel too long for me. I, I, I felt like it was great. So what I'm talking about is at the very beginning, uh, we have very little context as it just starts off with uh, each person reading off. It doesn't even feel like reading. It feels like they're just listing things that they love about their partner. So, you know, Scarlett Johansson's character will talk about how, you know, uh, I, you know, I should just learn to remember the f- names. I, I can't remember any of them. Charlie names. and Nicole. Charlie and Nicole. Nicole is listing off things she loves about Charlie. For instance, she'll say, you know, she loves his genius or she loves his uh, the way he is a dad or, you know, things like that. He loves all the worst parts of being the dad. Even the ones you're supposed to hate. Yeah, things like that. It's worded a lot more uh, nicer than I can. You can tell really... someone when they have food on their face without them being embarrassed. Yeah, it's it's a really beautiful <laughs> list. It's the kind of list that you're like, wow, like I kind of I want someone to write that for me. Like you're just like, I I want this. And so to start off the movie like that, having one for Nicole and then one for uh, Charlie. You just so quickly start to love these characters before you even meet them. Like you, you, you haven't really heard. You, you barely know anything about them, except through how they're viewed for, through the other person's eyes. And it's a very compelling introduction that I think grabs you right away. And um, I, I don't know. What did you guys think about that? I mean, um, I think well, it's definitely going in. Everyone knows that this is. A film about divorce. Almost, like, I think almost everyone knows that. So I think it's really nice to start off with this, like, with this reminder of what each of them loves about each other and all the good qualities before, as you expect, like all these flaws start to show. And I think, um, essentially, the film is bookended by these by these statements in like a really hopeful, almost way, um, in a very in a very like. In a very, in, in, I, I just think in a really just emotional, affecting way. And I think perhaps the best part of it is that just it doesn't come from nothing. Um, we learn, like, directly after that. This is in one of their, like, marriage counseling sessions. Um, so I think I really appreciated the fact that this is definitely a plot device that could have been really ham-fistedly just, like, put into this film. But it comes also from a very realistic place, and I think that definitely adds to it. Yeah, I think it's a great opening that that brings you in uh, immediately. Uh, besides what has already been mentioned, uh, I think the the visuals that accompany uh, this reading or those readings are great. Uh, they uh, just as these words that you're and these ideas that you're learning about the characters develop them, so too do the visuals. And you, by the time the the letters have uh, been completed, you have a pretty full idea of who these characters are, and it's not just uh, from from the words. It's you see, you actually see how uh, Charlie and Nicole interact, which uh, really gets you invested quickly. Uh, I think that's that's just you can attribute that to Bombach's direction. Uh, I think this is the best directed movie of his that I have seen easily. And also, in as the visuals, or as it pertains to the visuals, I think the opening sequence and the whole film really is very well edited. 
you know, it, it, it's not anything flashy as you you use. You, you don't really expect or even hope uh, from a narrative Best drama. Best of the year. Uh, there is that. Uh, <laughs> there's also another shot later in the film uh, when a gate is being closed that is just stunning. A, bun- is a, a few quick cuts that really uh, hit you hard. Uh, and and like Eric mentioned, it goes right into this uh, scene where right after you hear how much they love each other, you know, Charlie and Nicole are, you find out, boom, uh, immediately they're actually not in this great state. And it's just a little funny moment. It's a nice juxtaposition and it really sets the tone for what the movie is going to be. Great, great opening. I actually, oh, do you want to say something, Eric? Go ahead. Yeah, just even from the very beginning, I think there's a lot of very understated compositional elements that Bombach has put into this film that really emphasize just how distant these people are yet how much they care about each other. Like right after in that first scene, the um, right after their marriage counseling, they go onto this subway and this this subway shot is just absolutely ridiculous. Not only are they like completely separated by the bar in the middle, each of them is also completely framed within this tiny little rectangle of the bars that are like right next to the door. It's it's brilliant. I actually wanted to talk about that because we've talked about it a little bit, and I was I was reading more, um, and, and I, I'm this is a topic that I've only recently started learning about, like in in terms of you know being opened by you two into like how much a difference like a shot can really make, and like how you frame a shot, for instance. And I I read a lot about why marriage story about how he framed a lot of shots, like specifically with. Charlie and Nicole in this shot, especially towards the beginning. And it, and it stays consistent how they both are usually in the shot together, usually far apart, but they are together in an aspect that makes them look, obviously they don't look the same, but it almost creates the idea that they are the same. Like there's this dual identity here, which is obviously a big thing about escaping the dual identity they have, I think is a lot of what Nicole wants, is this idea that she never got to be her own person, and that she's been living, I guess, in the shadow of Charlie. And how much did that add to your experience? Or do you, you know, do you think it was a great choice? Do you think, like, what do you, what do you think about that? Do you think it was very noticeable? Yes, I did. And I think, I read something today about, like, a. I think this is very intentional. I read something today actually about how a lot of the profile shots in this film are actually based off of Ingmar Bergman's persona. And there's another pretty big Bergman reference in this movie, which I haven't seen scenes from marriage yet, but definitely a very similar topic. But And that entire movie is about this like very ambiguous melding of personality. So I think that's definitely a very like a very like intentional choice. I also really think there's a big emphasis on space. Like, obviously, it's a huge thing that, like, its attention is called to the entire time, but a lot of the time, a lot of these characters are framed in a way that they aren't centered so that they're, it looks like there's supposed to be another person there. Like, they... they, There's obviously flaws in their relationship, um, but they still love each other, and I think that also goes into this feeling of not knowing what to do after their relationship's over, and also just this dual identity that they have. I think the most notable, there's obviously a lot of them, but the most notable one I can think of right now that really stuck out to me is the first time Nicole 
goes in to meet Nora and she's sitting on the couch and she is literally sitting like almost on to our perspective, the very right of the couch. And like most of this couch is empty. And it's, this is also like pretty soon after like people start constantly just mentioning space and it's just all you can think of. It's just this stark white space next to her. That's just completely empty. So do you think it makes, I think one of the biggest things, um, that happens is Nora's relationship with Nicole and I guess how that forms because it, it, it very much seems as though Nora reaches a part of Nicole or it seems like she, def- I don't know what the right, right word is, but she brings out what Nicole has always wanted. The, you know, she, she encourages uh, Nicole to see that, you know, oh, it's always been women's, you know, role to do this, this, and this. And Nora saying, oh, you can have your own life. You should focus on what you want to do. Do you think that having Nora, it doesn't even have to just be about this, but having Nora come sit on the couch, do you think that takes away from Nicole's individuality? What do you think about the relationship? I think what happens there is Nicole is looking for someone to talk to and Nora when she's there's like cookies there's coffee she's very comfortable and Nora is someone who definitely seems to understand her in a way that I don't know if Nicole has ever had before and that is what causes her to make some of those first like moves in this divorce yeah Caleb I want to what do you think about the character of Nora um do you do you like her do you there's she obviously plays a role more than just a lawyer correct I mean, especially when you take into context at the very beginning of this film, the original understanding was, uh, or at least it's alluded to that multiple times, that Charlie and Nicole would go through a divorce without any lawyers. And then all of a sudden, Nora kind of pops into Nicole's life through suggestion uh, through the suggestion of a friend, and very quickly, Nicole's ideas change. And N- Nicole very quickly also adopts a very individualized lifestyle compared to what she had had before. Do you think that is attributed to Nora? What do you view, I guess, Nora's role in the movie? I think, uh, firstly, Nora is just a friend, kind of kind of uh, how Eric was saying, just a friend to Nicole that, as the audience, we're not really sure if Nicole has anyone in her life that she can really call a friend like Nora, who is who is her lawyer, uh, obviously in New York, you know, we see her surrounded briefly by people in the theater company that 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 you know she was acting in, but we have no proof that you know she was you know best friends with any of them. Well, and and inherently those friends are connected to to her Charlie. want you know her I, I guess at this point separated husband. Right. Right, and they, it's and it is like his company, which he you know in which he directs all the shows. So of course, yes, the, the, there is that that element, and you know it seems like she's close to her mom and uh, her sister, but for the past ten years she's lived three thousand miles away, so you really don't know if she has had someone to confide in, uh, like Nora for. The, at least the past decade. So I think it's Nora serves as someone that Nicole can finally talk to uh, about stuff that, you know, you want someone you can trust. So Nora, I see as someone that uh, Nicole can trust and that, you know, stability allows Nicole to kind of take this leap and say, I want more 
which she wasn't able to do before she had someone uh, to kind of fall back on or someone to assure her that she was making the right decision. So in that sense, I think Nora is pretty huge and is also huge to the plot uh, as uh, Charlie and Nicole get entrenched in this legal battle, which uh, sets up uh, many uh, funny and and dramatic scenes. Eric, I want to ask you a little bit, um, and then this can go to Caleb too, um, about Nora's relationship with Nicole. I got the impression very early on, and I think it might have changed. Do you view? Do you feel like there was a little bit skepticism in your mind about that relationship? Do you did you view that maybe Nora was just taking advantage of Nicole because very early on she's talking about here's what you could get, here's how it could go. You know, I've represented all these people. And Nora seems very unsure about that. Specifically, a moment that we're going to talk about later, later, um, is near the end of the film when Nora reveals to Nicole that she has gotten her 55-45 custody in her favor. And Nicole is very upset about that. I mean, she's notably like, I didn't want this. I mean, uh, Charlie loves his son. And so do you view Nora's relationship with Nicole as being so amazing? Or do you think there was a part of it that is just business? Um, I think Nora plays a really tricky role, obviously, because a big part of what Baumbach tries to convey in this film is how divorce and the entire like politics and the system of divorce is what brings out the worst in people as opposed to the people actually just being terrible. So I think Nora plays this dual role of both being this female figure who's in a position of authority who's very good at what she does. She's like a high-powered, independent woman. She is, in a way, an ideal of what Scarlett Johansson wants to be, yet also inherently because of her character, she's also stuck in this this almost antagonistic position in terms of what's happening in the plot. So I feel like there's a very... um, I feel like... I feel like I, I'm not super sure about what I'm saying as I'm saying it right now, but I feel like Bombach has a very clear distinction between their personal relationship as well as the business. There's obviously some business in there in the very first scene because obviously Nora wants to be hired, but at the same time, it's also framed in the sense that Nora is one so good. Every single lawyer knows exactly who she is that if she didn't really care or whatever, like, she wouldn't even really need to take on the case. Although I don't even know if that's specifically how that works, but I did get that sense. So I do definitely think that there's some aspect of a real relationship in there. Um, but I think she's just a very conflicted character, especially because the film is essentially in um, Adam Driver's perspective, and she's a very clear antagonistic force from that side. Okay. I, I mean, I agree with that as well. Um I've been writing down a bunch of little ideas because there's just so much I feel like you can talk about in this film and, and so much I want to ask you guys. Um, I wanted to ask specifically then a little bit about the relationship. And I want to ask this to Caleb. Um, how do you view uh, – you talked about the relationships that Nicole has and how she really only at this point has Nora and her mother and her sister a little bit. Her sister's not really a large role, but the mother comes back a lot. I want to talk about that role that I forgot who the actress that plays um, the mother. Um, but 
Either way, the mother is a very interesting character because she has such a strong relationship with Charlie. And she repeatedly says that. And so, and you see throughout the movie that at a point when Charlie's looking for a divorce lawyer, he even calls Nicole's mom to ask for a divorce divorce lawyer. So what do you what role does the mom play? And do you think that adds more pressure, obviously, onto Nicole? Or do you think is the mom supposed to represent kind of the connection that's left or you know what do you think the mother's role really is yeah i think she's trying to be diplomatic uh partially diplomatic and part of it is also that yeah she she does have a genuine connection with charlie it seems and from a personal standpoint doesn't want to give that up and that creates a small bit of tension i'd say uh between uh, Nicole and and her mother because I think Nicole wants her to always, you know, be on her side. Yeah, as 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 you know, mothers as I guess some children hope their mothers uh, will be. But uh, I you know I I, I really re- respect that character in that. She's fair, and she kind of just wants everyone to get along and everyone to love each other, and I think that's uh, pretty admirable. And, you know, I think anyone can appreciate, you know, a situation like you were mentioning where Charlie is, like, running out of time and running out of options, and he really desperately needs some help so he can guarantee he can see his kid in the future, and he feels like, you know, this is the last option, and she's there for him. And I think, you know, everyone can can appreciate that. And even Nicole, I'd say, could appreciate that. Um, and I, I think she she's a, she and like you were mentioning, uh, she's a nice character in that she ties uh, the she ties Nicole and Charlie back together, even when they're on the verge of falling completely apart. So she definitely plays a, a nice middle ground that. Uh, keeps the story going and and keeps our our characters in each other's lives, which well, not going to be much of a movie uh, without that. So <laughs> that is true. Um, I think the most important thing that I want to discuss, and I think we talked about this a little bit when we were watching it or towards the end, is the idea that this movie makes you choose sides, or that an inherently a viewer would choose a side to support more than another. Did you guys feel the same way? Did you feel, I, I mean, I'll speak personally, that I felt very strongly identifying, and it could be, I, you know, I don't know if it's, like, necessarily a sex thing. I, I don't know. But, like, I found myself identifying a lot more with Adam Driver's character and that I felt, I felt a desire for him to reach happiness more. Towards the end, that changed a little bit. I definitely wanted, like, happiness for both. But I just found myself often siding with and recognizing how kind of defeated, you know, Charlie was. And I was, I'm wondering what you guys thought about that. Um, this is, I think, a very intentional part of what Baumbach is doing. Because I think he does a very... He really, really wants to make sure that both sides are almost in balance. And what this means is that if this were from Scarlett Johansson's character's side, then she is leaving a partner that she thought was incredibly controlling, that like controlled her life, didn't really care about what she wanted. And also, she is 
the one that the kid very clearly wants to be with. So if it was from Scarlett Johansson's perspective, this film would just not work in doing that because Adam Driver would be a fairly clear villain. Whereas in this case, by focusing on Adam Driver, who is one, a really good person on his own, which is emphasized in the very first scene, two, definitely getting the brunt of what's happening in the divorce because they've moved to LA, which is not his home. He's having to sacrifice his work, which is very clearly one of his greatest passions. And like he wants to love, no, he wants to be with his son a lot more, yet his son sort of is choosing sides, even even I mean, though it, it's... It seems so, like he does. Like it, it, it very much seems the son does choose sides. Even though, I mean, they say like when he gets older, he'll make his own decisions or exactly. whatever. But, um, and because... A lot of times in divorces, it's a lot of times the man that ends up getting a lot of the like brunt of the aftermath, whether or not that is the case or not. So I think choosing to like be with the perspective of Adam Driver was a very intentional choice and I think a very good one. Um, and I think you do feel for him. And that is because of how good the characters are and how much we recognize that these are genuinely good people that still do care about each other. Now, I want to I want to just point something out that I think very much can maybe be on the on the flip side of that and see what you guys think about that. And I've I've heard others that related more with with Nicole, and I think it is worth bringing up that there are so some not so good things about each character, but specifically stuff that is focused on Adam Driver's character. One, we are we are aware of pretty early on, and it, it becomes very truthful, is that Charlie had an affair while he technically was still married to Nicole. Now, later on in the fight, you know, he defends himself by saying, we hadn't had sex in a year, and you didn't really love me, blah, blah, blah. But that's still a very, you know, villainous, you know, action to to have an affair with someone while, while uh, you know, still married to them. There's also other things, though. There's there's the whole idea that we get from Adam Driver being kind of controlling and wanting to take credit for things. There's, you know, Adam Driver's character. I should stop saying that. I should just say Charlie. Charlie, you know, denying Nicole's request to eventually go to L.A. And so I'm wondering, do you still think there's a side, though, that identifies more with Nicole? Because Nicole is also on one hand can be portrayed as, you know, a mother who is just suddenly picking up and leaving a good life. Or she can be portrayed, I guess, in the sense that she is trying to do something that she's been denied her whole life. She's trying to reach independence. And her husband has always, you know, just kind of stored her away underneath his shadow. And, you know, maybe she's doing what's best for her. So I, I'm kind of curious about that. Uh, I think, of course, there is room to support or be on the side of either character. And I, I don't think... Well, personally, I'm I'm not you know fully on one side. I will agree with Eric though that I think it is easier to uh, to be on the side of Charlie, and I think yeah, Bombach sets it up that way. Firstly, because the the movie is basically told from his perspective, uh, you see him as the main protagonist. I'd say, or at least I did. And so that is automatically going to cause you to to root for him. Uh, there's also the fact that 
he is in jeopardy of losing his child, like in true jeopardy of of losing access to his child at some point or the ability to to see him or see him uh, in a fair ratio with Nicole. And that's something that Nicole doesn't have to deal with, so you feel bad for him there. And there's also the fact that Nicole sets into motion uh, this whole... Uh, he says into motion a lot of bad things for him when she gets the lawyer, uh, when she serves him so that, uh, you know, the amount that he can see his child is called into question so that he has to spend a lot of money trying to to keep his life in order that he doesn't have, that she has more of, that he has to leave his his job in New York to go deal with this life situation and then loses the opportunity to uh, take his play to Broadway. So you definitely feel feel bad for him there. There's also the fact that, that the kid uh, is, or as Nicole says, is in the middle of a mommy phase. Uh, so you could make the argument that uh, you should root for Nicole because at least to to make sure that Nicole has a good chance to take care of the kid because uh, Henry wants to be with her. But, you know, you also on the flip side see Charlie trying really, really hard, doing everything he can to to give Henry, you know, some happy memories while while Charlie is there with him and it just not connecting. And again, you just it hurts to watch that. Now, of course, Charlie is uh, has his flaws, uh, like you mentioned, the cheating, uh, the the whole the whole affair. But maybe this was just how I interpreted it. But it felt like that was really put on the back burner and not brought up too much and not made a huge deal out of. And not sure if Bombach did that intentionally. Uh, or if that's just, you know, if there's just, you know, a lot of elements in the story that uh, needed to be given their due. But I think neither character really made it as big a deal as it could have been. Now, I'll definitely say that his defense uh, during the, the argument was was very poor. Um, <laughs> I would agree. Like you very typical. Yeah, you, you mentioned Zach in another thing he said. Yeah, I was successful and in my 20s. I wanted to have sex with everyone, but I didn't. Like, <laughs> yeah. look, look how good of a guy I am. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of that problematic. Was, that was uh, not great on Charlie's part. But overall, I'd say he's is definitely the more sympathetic character. And that is why I, I or maybe part of the reason I identified more with him. And I think it is, he is the character for which it is easier to root for. I think that one thing Bombach does that I think the whole, I think part of the whole reason that he made this is to show that perhaps we shouldn't need to root for sides. And I think this is like one of the ways he's, he does that. But I think, the bigger, the most um, powerful way he sort of gets rid of this idea of sides is by making the fact that the most powerful moments in this film are when the two characters are together, yet very painfully aware that their relationship 
might not be ever the same again and that they still love each other but that they've definitely irreparably changed that so this falls into what we talked about before with this um with the gate closing but another one that really stuck out to me was when this is i think the first time adam driver comes back comes to la to meet with nicole and henry and adam driver is reading a book and they're all on the same bed and right at the bottom of the frame away from her um her kids eye scarlett johansson is crying and it's just moments like that that really make this film like just incredibly powerful and really make you root for what's best for all of them as opposed to wanting to choose a side i i would agree that there is that you do reach a point I think you might have some guttural reactions like, oh, you know, like, oh, this, you know, Charlie, like, damn, I really want Charlie to, you know, get to see his kid. But in the end, you do want both these characters to be happy and you realize that they should be happy. Like part of you wants them to be end up together, but you realize that that's not going to happen and you want them to still both be happy. And that you know, haircutting scene. Oh, my. Yeah, there were there were some uh, we. <laughs> There were a lot of scenes that were very powerful, just like by themselves. The haircutting scene was one. I thought towards the end, the, the shoe tying scene was another. You guys already mentioned the gate scene. Um, another one that I want to talk about, which we were just mentioning before. One sec, just before you hit that point, because we'll be talking about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Just, just, just to add on. Um, I think Bombach does a great job of of creating conflict uh, naturally that that feels organic, so that you do have moments where you are really pulling for one character or the other. But then, yes, ultimately, it's you you like and appreciate both of them, and it is those moments like like the haircut, uh, like the gate, like the tying shoe that you see where this love once existed and you know despite how you feel about any particular issue uh this idea that this love is maybe something is still there drowns out any you know any notion of choosing sides and yeah i think you do wish that this love that that clearly was there at one point could have just uh persevered which i think is just the mark of of a great uh romantic dramatic film yeah well you just said you wanted to talk about it and so i want to hear uh you know fast forwarding a little bit there's still a few other things i know we're going to go back to but talking about moments that had the most impact um we mentioned a few of them already but one that i think stood out to all of us was the scene with charlie singing in the bar um, and I wonder how much that had an impact on you guys overall. Had a great impact on me. Uh, even last night before I went to bed, I went uh, went back on onto Netflix and and just watched that scene. Uh, it's there's a lot of talking in this movie, which is which is a great thing. It, but there's also this layer that I think music 
has that, you know, just saying what you feel or saying, you know, what's important, whatever, can't reach. And I think that also is the, is the power of cinema in that, you know, words can explain a lot, but seeing something or being shown something it adds a whole, you know, dimension of power that that really fills you up. And I think that's that's what happened there. You know, uh, Charlie has just undergone this horrible uh, life-changing divorce and his you know nothing will be the same and there's nothing there's no way he can you know just talk about it and feel better you know he's he's been talking this whole movie he's been fighting this whole movie so instead of just rehashing those approaches he's able to just kind of sing how he feels and use the music to escape ever so briefly uh, this situation that he's in. And you can see by the end of the song how much it means to him that he was able to just release for a few for a few moments. And it just in in movie magic terms, it just it shows how he feels without him having to to tell it anyone and it was just a, a beautiful moment for me yeah I wholeheartedly agree it's one of those moments of just musical just emotional catharsis that I think is this decade at least only paralleled by the death of Queen Jane and in, inside Lewin Davis um, yeah I think what makes it so powerful is that this is when he's back in New York. He's sort of away from all the stuff of the divorce. So at this point in the film, this question of one against the other, of like who is going to get custody when, is just not really in the question. This scene where he's singing is just him simmering in this fear that he won't be able to see his son as much anymore. This probably some regret. This loneliness of now he's alone and this life that he'd envisioned is gone. Um, and also just everything that he's been he's been through this entire film, just all coming into this big, just emotional outburst right at this moment. It it sort of feels like what his character has been building up to this entire film and Bombbox executes it perfectly. It's it's really good. I agree. Um I want to talk about a few more things before we get into. Sorry, our... I just got one more. I'm go ahead. I'm, no, I'm please, please go ahead. Over today, uh, when Eric said, "Yeah, Bombach executes it." Y- yes, yeah, yes, he does. Uh, very, very well. Uh, I believe from when the piano starts playing to when the song ends, and then there's a fade to black. It's one shot that that follows uh Charlie as he's sitting talking to you know his friends but obviously not fully invested in the conversation to when he gets an opportunity to to escape his current state and gets up and starts singing and that's great but then he finishes the first verse and then sits back down and he realizes 
no, that's that's not all I have to offer. And I think that's a great touch, just him then getting back up and then singing and finishing the song uh, is just a nice little flourish on, on Bombach's part uh, to really show that you know, Charlie, Charlie has a lot inside of him that he needs to get out. And then that it's the, you know, he's, he's in the frame, he's in the center of the frame for, for the rest of the song. And then there's a slow zoom on him. So by the end, it, it really is just his face. It's remarkably done. And uh, one more thing for, for Driver, you know, he's not a great singer. You know, he can, he carries the tune well. He sing, you know, he, he's, he's, he's a fine singer, but, you know, he probably wouldn't be cast in, you know, a Sondheim musical, like where the song is from. <laughs> yeah. But I thought that that added to it uh, because he's just, he's giving what he has to offer in hopes that it will just make him feel better for as long as a good feeling could last. And that is quite affecting. It, it affected me a lot and just a beautiful scene. I agree. It is very powerful. I notice that I say I agree a lot. You know, I don't disagree a lot, but I do agree a lot. Um, one thing I want to talk about, and I think it relates perfectly to the song, because the song had to do with this feeling of being alive, right? There's a lot of references in in throughout the film of being alive, and notably, there's one in particular where Nicole is talking to Nora, talking about how she's never experienced her own aliveness. She's only experienced what it was be like being alive through the lens of Charlie. And I think that perhaps, and obviously it's very intentional, both characters, Charlie and Nicole, are dealing with this idea of individualism you know how do they be themselves and and they when the the most notable part is during the argument you know the kind of one big blow-up argument where they are shouting at each other saying all these nasty things to one another and then they just apologize and they're like that like i didn't mean any of that and it seems like a lot of it when they're talking they're talking about how much of themselves they lost and not being able to explore that when they were younger and so i think there's a very interesting idea throughout the film that they don't know each other as much, but they still know each other better than they even know themselves. That in the end, they don't even know who they are. You know, while Charlie may have this successful company and everything, he's dissatisfied with the fact that he didn't get to explore life in his 20s. And Nicole is a lot more obvious. She didn't get to explore anything because she felt she was always living in the shadow of Charlie. How powerful do you think that that, does that theme ring in? And do you think that Bombach is like, do you think it's supposed to be this kind of juxtaposition between our relationships with other people, but then our relationships with ourselves and the satisfaction that we should get from ourselves? Do you think that you found that being very, you know, prominent throughout the film? I mean, I think the whole film, as we've sort of talked about, is about this dual personality that they all have. And they have this very, very specific like they everything they do is like about their relationship and this doesn't just go into their personal lives this is also complicated by the fact that they work together Absolutely, um, there's yeah. a lot of big director actor movies 
and I haven't thought enough about nearly about how this compares to them. The big one I'm thinking about right now is Opening Night, but um, I think the fact that one specific note that they make during the trials is Scarlett Johansson had a huge budding TV and movie career that she for that she essentially like didn't do so she could go do theater with Adam Driver and Adam Driver's career then skyrocketed as a result of it to the point where he then just overshadowed um, Nicole so much that she sort of became a nobody. So even both of their like combined success in the company is this product of this relationship personality that they all have. So in essence, because their professional and personal lives are so intertwined, they haven't been able to be themselves for this entire period of time, even though Adam Driver definitely has had much, much more say. And I think a lot of what this film explores is that feeling of the rug being pulled out under you and not knowing what to do when you don't have that anymore. Like, I think, shoot, is it is it Charlie or Nicole that says, I think it's Nicole who says she doesn't even know what furniture to get because she doesn't even have a taste anymore in furniture because it's just gone because they've just had this joint like they might have both said that because i do remember i or unless it was just i do remember charlie saying it in the bar he's saying i had to get all new furniture and i didn't even know what to get was that am i thinking that right is that i maybe i do recall nicole saying it too but i do know one of them says it at least um well i'll I'll talk a a little bit about that big old fight scene (laughs) um so i definitely agree that the the central conflict in the fight is they're both upset that they did not get a chance to you know as Zach said explore uh facets of their life which has led them to this feeling of unaliveness um which is which is quite which is quite compelling on paper. I was not thrilled with the execution of the fight scene, mostly in how it was written. It, compared to basically the entire rest of the film, uh, the dialogue here is just crazy over the top. Uh, usually, Bombac uh, tries to you know, maintain a lot of reality in his dialogue. Um, but here it, it just gets kind of ridiculous pretty quickly. And, you know, instead of, instead of what we, what we have come to know from these characters, they just explode into something kind of foreign. Uh, Eric and I were talking about this, uh, how we wish that this scene had played out a little bit more like the argument scene in Before Midnight, um, which is just an incredible scene. But what what I scene or second half of a movie? <laughs> yes, don't spoil um, too much for me. <laughs> and what I think Before Midnight does so well is that it's really all the all the problems, all the the emotions that arise from. Uh, in that movie, Jesse and Celine are rooted very firmly in 
specific examples and they just keep hitting each other with i don't like you because of this or or i don't like that you did this and this and then it's well that's because of this because of this and it really ping pongs uh extraordinarily and keeps you invested the whole time but it also keeps you believing their argument the whole time here charlie and nicole resort to wild insults pretty quickly and it's you you know why they're upset you've seen it play out before uh you've you've seen some some examples earlier in the movie as as to why um emotions like these might arise but in this specific moment you can't really connect to them as much because they're spewing out a lot of uh words that aren't as emotionally impactful as I think they would have been if they had stuck closer to uh, specific reasons for their being upset. I'm going to disagree with this. Um, and <laughs> it's probably the first time I have. I, I disagree. Um, I've not seen Before Midnight yet, and so therefore I cannot comment on that specific fight scene. I just want to say why I thought this scene in particular did it for me. And um, personally, I felt the scene to be very powerful considering the amount of time that had passed. Uh, keeping in mind that the timeline is very vague in this movie in terms of how long the divorce actually takes. At this point in the film where they are arguing, it is presumed to be months that they had gone, you know, at least a month because it was past the 30 days for getting a lawyer. So it's been a while. It's It has been a while since the two of them have really sat down and had a real conversation. And in fact, Nicole had said that, you know, sh that she didn't even want to do that anymore, that she wanted to leave it to the lawyers. So this is the first time after possibly months that these two have really tried to have a conversation. And I, I think the range of emotion that comes out of them is perfect. The reason I believe that is because I think it really shows how – I don't even know what the word is. But sometimes humans can be so just reactive and sometimes they let a lot bubble up. The reason I felt like this was powerful was because it started very slow, very basic. And I, I think it, the fact that it ramped up so quickly in less than probably three or four minutes – made it even more accurate to their relationship and the fact that everything that already happened so quickly, it feels like, with them. And having this moment where the two of them start trying to converse in the old ways where they would talk and communicate about things, that goes nowhere. And very quickly, the range of emotion skyrockets to the point where Charlie is saying that he wishes she was dead. And the fact that someone who at one point and still possibly loves this person could say that they wish they were dead. To me, it was such a powerful moment that showed that how, how crazy we can be, how, how we can't even understand our own emotions and how we feel so strongly sometimes without even, without even thinking about it. So I can understand. I think I had a little bit of an issue with, I do agree that there was not as much ping pong kind of action. I did. I didn't think that maybe there was, enough build up I, I don't know I, but i i still personally liked how wild it got because i felt that it it showed how 
sometimes out of our mind we can be. And with these two, it had always been this kind of passionate to now suddenly zero passion, you know, one to a hundred quick that I, I felt like it worked for me. Okay, I think the wildness of it isn't what made this, for me, the worst scene of the film. I think a lot of it was a lot of what Caleb said, that it was it sort of came out of nowhere. These are, these are very thoughtful, very meticulous people. They work in directing, acting. Like, there's a lot of thought behind everything they do. Um, so I don't doubt that these are, like, that these emotions exist. I think a lot of what I wished was more, just more, like, yes, specificity, but also, like, to make another example to Before Midnight, in Before Midnight, the the fighting starts off. These are two characters who are, I think, just as thoughtful, but maybe a little more, like, feisty. But it obviously gets off to a really, really, like, fiery start. Like, the first thing that happens is, as they're alone on their hotel bed in this, like, private room they have for a night, their first night for a long time where they don't need to worry about their kids. Um, and But what I really liked about that fight was somewhere in the fight, they go back down to the couch and they sort of settle down. And this whole fight has a sort of ebb and flow that really strikes me as something more real than where in this scene, once it gets to this fever pitch, it just becomes this ridiculous yelling match for the next five to 10 minutes that at a certain point really took me out of it. I don't, I don't like, in theory, mind Adam Driver's whole thing about wishing Nicole were dead. I do mind the fact that it happened so late after such a sustained, just like, just like huge outburst. I think that's what bothered me more. Yeah, I I, I can understand that. I I just still, and I, and I don't think there is a right. Obviously, there's no right answer and to who you know should you or should you not like this scene. Um, I just very much felt as though that the the fact that these two had spent so long apart not communicating that this very one to a hundred, you know, rather than ebb and flow, just kind of more like a, you know, like, like a rocket launching off. Like it, it starts quickly and it kind of ends quickly. The whole scene, I think, is it's not that long, honestly. Like it's not a long fight. You know, the yelling does go on for a while. It does reach very quickly. But I felt like what did escalate was what they were saying to one another. You know, I felt that at first they were talking about more like the situation, the divorce. Then they'd start talking about the things they missed out on in life. And it starts getting more intense. And then it reaches a point where it's just getting mean. Like, it's getting mean. Adam Driver punches a wall. And then he says, you know, I wish you were dead. You know, and I, I think it's just like. I don't think that that is necessarily unrealistic. In fact, I, I feel like I've, I've, I've heard fights that get to that point where you just you are on this acceleration. You are not even thinking about where you're going. Your foot is on the gas pedal and then it, it just comes out. And I thought what was even powerful was the fact that after he said it, they quickly went down to zero. I thought he you know, the moment where he's like, holy shit, I just said that back down to I'm so sorry, you know, and then her apologizing as well. I could understand, you know, why obviously it would not work for everyone. But, you know, I, I, I definitely, though, in my view, uh, thought it worked. Yeah, I just thought the the tonal shift was too abrupt compared to everything that comes before and after. And so I, I really just struggled to believe uh, what what was 
what was happening. Uh, I think the 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 rest of the film is based so heavily in realistic dialogue, realistic interactions uh, on these characters who, as Eric pointed out, are thoughtful and not prone to outbursts, and especially not prone to sudden outbursts that just explode to such a an insane magnitude. It, to me, it felt like it was a scene not from this movie, uh, which, you know, maybe in another life, Charlie and Nicole reached this point naturally, but from what we had seen leading up, it just didn't click. Yeah, I think we, I sort of mentioned this before, this movie, the strongest part of it is the smaller quieter moment so when a moment this big and this out of nowhere happens it just doesn't ring as powerful or to me as true as some of the other ones all right well we're just about getting to the end here so before we go into our you know i know we could talk i mean i feel like i could talk about this movie for for a lot longer but i think one thing I want to get to before we kind of give our overall review um, is the ending. Um, the ending in particular where Charlie comes to pick up his son and he realizes at this point it was – at least we're led to believe this is the first time that Charlie realizes that Nicole is now with someone else. So, um, you know, we don't know what the relationship is, how long it's been going I presumed it was a boyfriend. It could be a husband. I, I honestly don't know. I don't feel like it. I didn't feel like that much time had passed. Um, obviously, the child is still about the same age. So either way, Charlie comes home, sees the boyfriend. You know, you can tell just by the look on Adam Driver's face that, you know, this is obviously still crushing to him. And the movie leaves you off by, by having this son, Henry, find Nicole's letter that she had wrote at this point probably at least a year before maybe only a few months but it was the letter that she wrote that she refused to read earlier on about the reason she still loved Charlie and the film has us see Charlie read this and what's interesting is Nicole never gets to hear Charlie's reasons but Charlie gets to read out loud the reasons that Nicole still loved him at that point when she wrote it. And Adam Driver's character starts to break down. And, you know, you can you can tell that he's obviously very sad, you know, whether it is sad because, you know, we were at that point, like, you know, he's thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, we were at that point or just sad because he he misses Nicole. The film leaves you off with that, followed then by a nice gesture by Nicole to allow Henry to go with um to go with Charlie and Nicole remembering to tie uh Charlie's shoes which is a very nice little moment. Uh interestingly enough also to note Nicole is I think it's presumed I mean I think we can see here Nicole hears Charlie reading the letter out loud towards the end but we never see any discussion between the two of them about that letter. I want to know what you guys took on that. Is 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 this film supposed to be hopeful in the end? Or is it supposed to be, you know, things happen, 
move on? You know, what what is what do you think is the overall lingering tone at the end of this film? And did the ending, specifically those last two scenes, work for you? Um, yeah, I thought reading the letter, finding the letter and reading the letter crushed. Um, that it's a moment that you could totally call cheesy or or corny or you know ridiculous that of course the kid finds the letter and then you know and then Charlie walks in and then Nicole sees them sure but i don't know for it for me it just absolutely crushed uh i loved it that that's that's all i that's all i really have have to say about that um of, you mentioned that that Nicole and Charlie, you know, you don't see them discussing uh, the him finding and reading the note. I thought that's great. No, there was no need for a discussion. I think you see her watching him, and you see both of them in a in a great emotional state. That says more than than any discussion would. So, so I thought that was uh, you know efficient and affecting. And the feeling at the end of the movie. Uh, well, I will say that normally I am a sucker for cutting to black. You find one killer image to end your movie on and then cut to black. Let the audience take in that the movie has just ended and let them really feel that. Then start rolling the credits. Here they did not cut to black. Uh, the movie ends with... Um, with Charlie and Henry getting into the car and driving away, and it really worked for me. Um, so may and I couldn't tell you exactly why, uh, but to connect it back to, should, does this film feel hopeful at the end? Um, a little bit, I'd say. I I don't think there's any hope for Charlie and Nicole ever getting back together, but. For Henry, for Charlie and Nicole's friendship, I think there is hope. And that can be, I think, looked at through the lens of rolling the credits over the car, driving away. It, there's not a cut to black. There's no hard ending on this story. It's just something that's going to continue. And I don't think there's reason to think that it's going to continue negatively. It seems like everything has settled down. It's a you know their situation is by no means perfect but you know it's it's livable it it could work and you know after all the drama that went down between Charlie and Nicole that's i think as close to a happy and realistic and carefully hopeful ending as Bombach could muster and i really liked the ending yeah, I definitely agree. I think the most striking thing about the ending to me is that there's finally an acceptance of the situation that they're in and that both characters have found things to be happy about for their own lives and are hopeful for their own futures with this full recognition that they still had what they had and that they still really care about each other. And... I think that's about as it, as good as it gets, as Caleb said, for what what like what their relationship could be, and I think it is hopeful. They're both both of the all the characters are 
maybe not happy with the situation, but there's things that they're looking forward to in their own lives, and they're glad about the relationship that they still have, considering what they've been through. And I think it's I think it's great. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, the ending as well, and I agree with what Caleb and Eric had to say. Eric, before we get to the review, I do have a question, though. Did you mentioned before, and I don't know if maybe you've thought about this more or changed your mind, you at first didn't really enjoy the letter being brought back up, correct? Or what, what do you think about that? Because I'm just curious, because I know Caleb said he really liked it, but uh, I'm kind of curious what your opinion was on it. I definitely, when I first saw it, had this question of, wait, that's that's really convenient, but I really liked how delicately Bombach approached it, especially with Adam Driver. Like, they're in a great emotional state, but there's still a lot of restraint there. Um, he needs to stay composed for his kid. He doesn't want his kid to see him breaking down. Also, his face is completely, like, hidden from Scarlett Johansson. And just there's this mutual emotional state of the both of them that they both maybe don't know for sure that the other is in, but... They, they do know like there's this and I think that is what pushed it just to being really nice for me and I especially like the way that the letters are book bookend the film just this reminder of what how much good there was in this relationship even through how much how much just went down where they like essentially were like nasty to each other and I think it's just extremely beautiful very emotional very affecting this this is probably the most affecting movie of the year, easily. I would agree. And at this point, I think we are ready to give our kind of last thoughts and uh, rating of Marriage Story. Um, Why don't we uh, go in a different order than usual? You want to start this time? Yeah, let's let let's let's go in in this line. Okay. Uh, save save uh, the best for last, shall we? Um. So I thought that this was, from what I've seen, Noah Baumbach's best written film, uh, fight scene excluded. Uh, I, I've also seen uh, the Meyerowitz stories where I thought he tried too hard to be witty and hyper-realistic. So realistic. I think, I think he was going for a... A realistic feel that almost wrapped around to not being realistic and how much people talked over each other and how smart everyone was trying to sound it, it it just it didn't really work for me I could see where he was going for I thought the performances were great I thought Adam Sandler turned in a great performance there but overall it didn't work for me um, Francis Ha I think the writing tried a little too hard to be quirky and trying to hit that this this trying to almost bring link later into the the modern era and i i liked it more than the Meyerowitz stories but still there was something missing for me here i think his writing just settles in and that is what launches the whole film everything is uh, based on the script, starts off with a bang with these great uh, love letter type notes 
and I thought the dialogue, you know, of course, excluding the fight scene was excellent all the way through. And I really cared about these these characters and and still find myself caring about them and exploring possibilities in their lives uh, days later. So I think everything stems from that. And uh, as I previously mentioned, his best directed film, love the editing, the the acting, especially Driver was just phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, a, a perfect storm. Uh, really, as far as I guess 2019 movies go, uh, I rate this uh, marriage story four stars with a potential uptick on a rewatch, perhaps. Yeah, I agree, especially on that Bombach note. I think Bombach, I think Caleb's word quirky is quite literally the perfect word. I think I hear a lot of Bombach's work being pretentious, and I think that quirkiness is what it stems from. It's so quirky, trying so hard to be like, oh, I'm a hipster 20-something in New York, that it just is not realistic for most people. Um, there's a lot of similarity in this work to my favorite of Bombach's work that I've seen, The Merit, the Squid and the Whale, which is also about a divorce um, from the parents' point of view. And there's a shot at the very beginning of Marriage Story where Adam Driver's playing tennis that I think is... Sort of a callback to a big tennis scene in The Squid and the Whale. But yeah, The Squid and the Whale falls prey to this sort of quirky, over, like, over realistic to the point that it's not a writing that Caleb was mentioning earlier. There's the character of Jesse Eisenberg who plagiarizes off of Pink Floyd and is always talking about, like, his, his music taste. And I think the dad is some, like, is always just name dropping all these, like, literary works. Um, and it's still, I think, very good. It's my favorite of his works other than this, but Marriage Story is definitely a step up in that it's focused only on this relationship, their their professions, while classic um, Bombach professions work essentially solely to like frame the relationship and it ties in a lot of the themes of the story within them too. Um, so I think it just worked really well. It's real, raw, it's, it rings true. Um, yeah, I also rated this four stars. All right. Well, I guess that will be the last one. I have to say, if I haven't kind of said this enough, that I, I love this movie. Um, I noticed something today, or I think last night, that a lot of my movies that I think very highly of have this common thread of diving into the depths of relationships. You know, I'm sure I could analyze that and, <laughs> you know, go all, you know, Freudian and talk about why I might like those movies. But in general, Marriage Story just worked for me in that regard. I very much felt connected to Charlie and Nicole's relationship. I thought they kind of threw you into the fire of this, well, you know, like, burnt out fire you know of their passion and I, and I and I felt like you were watching a real couple go through one of the hardest things to go through and that is realizing that you no longer love in some capacity the person you're with you know I, I think at its core this is a movie about being with people it's about companionship it's about the love that still exists when that fire has burnt out I think you could really see how 
Charlie and Nicole still cared for each other inherently. And I that's why I felt that this film, despite all the, you know, the the fight scene and the, and the inevitable divorce, it still leaves the viewer with this hopeful note that while these two may never romantically be in love, the love that they had still exists within both of them and the love that possesses that each possesses for one another in some aspect will always remain. I I thought overall, you know, this being my first Bombach film, I can't speak to too much about how it compares, but I thought overall it felt very real. The motions felt very raw and I just walked away feeling like I had just watched a real couple go through a really hard moment in both their lives. But in the end, I was just amazed by this film. And with that, I can easily say so far on what I have seen, you know, I've definitely not seen that much. um, And I'm still catching up with some very popular films that I know Eric and Caleb both hold in high regard. But so far for 2019, this is my favorite film. And even so, it is also deserving from me a five-star rating. And I, I, you know, I might feel differently while they both might feel it could uptick for them. I could see this film maybe going down a little bit on a rewatch. Um, but as of right now, and you know, there is a recency bias. I felt very strongly that this movie hit all the marks that I wanted from it. And it, it definitely exceeded the expectation I had from it. And with that, I thought it was amazing. So certified you love to see it (laughs) you do i think with all of our ratings this is a definitely certified you love to see it film it's on netflix you gotta watch it it is on netflix this has gotta be my favorite netflix film i've seen and i know there's one that i'm gonna watch tomorrow with caleb um which is the irishman which we might be doing uh, probably not an episode on but it will be included in a future episode most likely um we just don't have the time to uh rate irishman but for the future, we have decided that in the next uh, you know, week, well, week for us, but it'll be several weeks probably for you guys, you know, we're gonna be seeing uncut gems, which we are very excited about. We're gonna be actually, uh, I think we mentioned before, going to a live QA with the directors, um, Softy Brothers, the Softy Brothers, and with Adam Sandler himself. And uh, I know the three of us are very, very excited about that, and there will be an episode dedicated to Uncut Gems because uh, it is very deserving of that. After that, we will be doing a best of 2019 and perhaps even a best of decade, I think, is what we're going to do uh, in terms of our favorite films from the decades and favorite performances in the sense of maybe uh, just best actors or most notable actors and actresses of uh, the last 10 years. So that is what the future holds. Uh, we, we really thank you guys for listening very much, and we're going to be pumping out a lot more episodes soon. Um And with that, it has been a great time. If you guys have any last words. You love to see it. Have a blessed Eve. Thank you.